Oh boy, what's going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. What? Oh, you got an issue? Oh boy. I'm just so excited to do the show. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. What can oh. I say? I love my work, guys. I'm thrilled to be here. I looked great at Trance's face when you said it. Too. Like, <laughs> what's he going to do? <laughs> It's like you want a you want a fried oyster on a baguette. You want you po boy, <laughs> love a Mickey po Mouse boy. Oh, boy. Big oyster guy, <laughs> big oyster guy. Um, it <laughs> is uh, it's Canucks talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. You bump into a plastic object in a boat. Oh boy, <laughs> very good. Your parlay doesn't hit. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> uh, via Champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. I'm Jamie Dodd. He is Canucks insider Thomas Drance. Gender who reveal. Also covers oh, the boy. team at the athletic. <laughs> Jamie shows up at your house to Christmas Carol. Oh boy to the world. <laughs> I'm just like guys, what what? I'm excited. It's December. The Canucks are on a three-game winning streak. We've got some some snazzy Christmas lights behind Drance here. A Santa hat. Yeah, thank you, Dom. By the way, Donnie and Dolly coming to you from Old Boy Studios. Uh, <laughs> right. That's true. <laughs> yeah, when Dolly Wall calls me. Oh boy. Oh boy. L- literally, that's what it says on the call display. Uh, yeah, Donnie and Dolly will join us uh, in mere minutes here for the crossover, as they do every Wednesday. Uh, they they first they got to chat with Jim Rutherford today. Now they get to chat with us. What a thrill! <laughs> what a thrill for them, man. Uh, so we'll do that at twelve ten. Jason Buchla joins us at one. That's the opposite of the guy who traded a paperclip into a house. <laughs> yes, exactly. Their their day is going downhill in a hurry, <laughs> rapidly. Oh, Brent Butt too on the show, man. Big day, big oh, day boy. for them. Um, <laughs> We'll do the whiteboard later on in the show as well because, uh, you know, we bump it out of respect for Donnie and Dolly here on Wednesday. Uh, But before we get to them, as I mentioned, third win in a row for the Canucks. They beat the Lightning 4-1. I thought they looked pretty good. Brock Besser with a hat trick last Uh, night. That was a good game for the Canucks. I think in concert with that Carolina game, we've seen this team – I don't even want to say get back on track because I actually think these two wins – it's easy to say that these two wins represent their best and most complete pair of performances in a month. Uh, but but actually, I think that's pretty obvious. Like, I think you can go further back. I think in terms of the overall quality of their five-on-five game, their defensive play, what they were surrendering, the way they controlled the games, the second period that they played last night where, you know, it, they controlled it so completely that even after they took the lead, I was like, oh, man, you know they're going to get the game icing goal before intermission. Like there was Mm -hmm. a confidence, an inevitability to how they were playing. Um, Felt pretty similar in the first 40 minutes against the Carolina hurricanes. Like I I think those are up there with, you know, when they effectively like picked the limbs off the St. Louis blues or, or that game in Nashville where they just completely crushed the predators. Like the, you know, that's that's as good a back-to-back set as we've seen, I think, since that Predators game on the road, and then they and come the home, and, home and just yeah. demolish the Blues. Like, that that's sort of the level. And when they did that, what happened? Those were wins two and three of a, of a nine-game unbeaten streak that, you know, include an 8-0-1 stretch that's effectively powered them to where they are in the standings, um, given that, you know, they've mostly been like a, a point or two above five hundred 
uh, aside from that, maybe they're maybe they're about to go on a run here before Christmas. It kind of feels like it. They're certainly at a at like a form and a level that we haven't seen them hit that often, and they've obviously been at a high level this season. So I, I'm meaning that not to sort of single it out or or you know be negative so much as to to give it praise. Like I think these have been incredibly impressive performances from the Canucks against you know pretty good teams um, in Carolina and Tampa Bay. Yeah, not the not necessarily as daunting as they looked when the schedule came out, right? No, when you're no. thinking of you know Carolina, well, especially years once past, you lose Tampa. And but been... I don't I don't say that to downplay the performances because I think all. even taking that into context, the performances were still really good, and especially last night. You know, once the second period starts and once the Canucks go up a goal, not even multiple goals, but just the one goal, it really never felt like Tampa was going to get back in that game, right? Like, the Canucks did such a good job of limiting what they were giving the Tampa Bay Lightning. Then Brock Besser gets his second, and and I say this in the nicest possible way, it kind of felt like they put the game in cruise control after that, yeah. right? Not that they were incredible, but they just they, they kind of sucked the life out of the game. And again, that's high praise. Like, how many times have we seen teams do that to the Canucks on the other end, right? Where it's a, a veteran team who kind of knows how to win, and they just put it in third gear and coast the rest of the way after they get up. That's a real skill. That's an important thing to be able to do. And I thought that's what the Canucks did uh, in a good way last night. Yeah, and didn't even feel like Tampa had legs until, like, the last six minutes of the game yeah. again. And then, and then they generated a a couple looks, but nothing too significant. Um, penalty kill was great. I think I think Demko probably saved a goal total on the power play. Like mm-hmm. when you consider some of the chances in tight, obviously that power play once they get set up, they're going to generate. We saw the Stamkos twofer. Uh, there was another chance down low, Nick Paul. Um, you know, I think probably the Canucks power play was like one for three, good, not. Uh, not three for three good or like two for three good. Yeah, yep. whatever. Well, the lightning probably should have gone one for three on form. Um, Demko though was their best penalty killer. C- kept it sort of blank. I-, I look new, new penalty killing personnel did their job. And then the Kucherov line with point, which is the Tampa Bay lightning. And we'll, we'll talk about this more in a later segment because the Tampa Bay lightning almost felt like a visit from the ghost of Christmas future in that, you know, if you have success, if you have success with players whose contracts are expiring, you know, we, we talk a lot about Pedersen Heronic, but we were talking about it before the show. Like, even Brock Besser's extension eligible and now yep. is on pace for, what, a million goals? <laughs> right? All of the goals in the league belong to Brock Besser. I mean, if you have success, your players get expensive. When, when your players get expensive, it's hard to keep your team together. You shed JT Millers. You shed Yan Gord's. Right, you shed star level guys um, to make it work, um, and and when that happens, you know, you, you end up looking a little bit like Tampa did last night, where it was like, oh boy, Calvin DeHaan's handling the puck a lot, yeah, right, like, oh, who's Mitchell Chaffee? Huh? Yeah, he's a pretty good AHL rate scorer. You know, Lightning counting cards again, but like also it's Mitchell Chaffee. You know, like on and on down the list, the Lightning felt like a team that had seven good players. So, you know, it's funny because you say the the ghost of Christmas future, because I also it also reminded me a little bit of watching like the first lotto line season Canucks, right? Where when one unit is out there in the Kucherov point, it's like, wow, these guys are dangerous. They're making a lot of things happen. When the rest of the team is out there, you really start to see the talent deficit that exists for the rest Uh, of the team. Yeah, I mean, like it's not a perfect comparison, but it just had that kind of vibe as I see Kucherov's incredible. Brayden points really good. 
they still stood out in a really positive way. I really struggled to find the positives from Tampa outside of that. The gap for me, though, is that that's a poorly built team. This is a post-prime team. Like, Oh, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. I, like, I think like the, the, the they difference arrive that, in a very different way, right, Be, yeah. or from very different circumstances, but like the effect of watching them was similar. I, I, I see what you're saying. It's just that like on that team in particular, I just want to make this distinction so plainly. You had, you know, like Roussel, Beagle, Erickson, mm-hmm. Sutter, and yep. that was, you know, 16 million of your cap in the bottom six right it's just like this team doesn't have that sort of those sorts of millstones but you know what 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 they do have is like steven stamkos is 33 and guess what steven stamkos still great steven stamkos not a driver at five on five anymore i don't mm-hmm. think right like that line did nothing that bar boule stamkos line like he can't carry those guys anymore um because that's what time comes for everyone even one of the great even hall of famers yep. yeah even one of the great goal scorers of his generation um, you know that that's more that's more how how I saw it. But we'll we'll get into that in the second segment. Let's welcome Donnie and Dolly into the show. Now joining us, oh boy, oh boy, I am excited. Of course, always excited to chat with these guys, friends of the show here on the crossover. <gasps> uh, you see them every week or every day on Donnie and Dolly on Check TV, ten to noon. They join us every week for the crossover. They are <laughs> Don Taylor. And Rick Dollywall, and I'm sure this was, there was no more conver- no conversation today that you guys were looking forward to more than chatting with us two, right? The biggest deal for your day, I'm sure today. Not a chance. <laughs> well, we had Farhan on, and Brent Brent Butt was on as well. Yeah, yeah. and one other and guest, oh, yeah. I think. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Jim somebody Rutherford else as well. Yeah, yeah, president, uh, president. Yeah. Before yeah. before we get into uh, to Jim Rutherford and that conversation, you know, he has a lot. He's had a lot to say in the media. Go ahead, Drew. Well, we're gonna ask them first. What what were your big takeaways from your conversation with Brent Butt? No. No one? I thought he was uh, a really nice guy and a, fa- a, a, a fan of all media in, in Vancouver. There, yeah. there was that, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and a very Great funny Canadian dude. Uh, a comedian. And, and yeah. he and he once was uh, during a I guess a stand up routine in a strip bar. Yeah. Uh, he was once uh, not only threatened by a guy with a knife, but yeah. the guy held the knife to his throat. My goodness. Whoa. Didn't didn't want him on the on the stage in the strip bar. Yeah, because okay. comedians used to be in strip bars back in the day. Yeah, I don't uh, think it happens now. Honestly, honestly, yeah. th- so not that different a conversation than one you'd have with the guy responsible for hockey operations decisions for the Vancouver. Canucks. <laughs> <laughs> very, very much so. I got. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's a little bit different. I gotta say that makes the mean like the mean tweets and texts a lot easier to take. It's a lot different than having a guy hold his <laughs> hold yeah. a knife to your throat at a strip club when you're doing. <laughs> comedy he doesn't like um another win for the canucks yes. three in a row what do you guys think of the performance against the tampa bay lightning last night well uh, you know brock Bester stole the show but name uh, demko the saves off stamkos early were uh, tremendous mm-hmm. again and rick talking every time you talk to him and you, you almost it's almost a by the way but by the way we got you know, good goaltending you just he knows how lucky they are to have a Thatcher Demko, so, so there's that. But as far as Besser goes, I'll focus on him for a second here. Uh, the three goals he got, one in front of the net displaying his hands, uh, batting it out of the air at the very least on a, on a one-hop, 
Uh, so there's there's that, you know, getting into the traffic area. The second goal from distance, really nice shot, which he's certainly well known for. And the third goal, an empty netter. So three goals in three different ways. And for anybody who wants to rip into him for, ah, I was scoring into an empty net, what's the big deal? I know, Thomas, you make this point all the time. He was out on the yeah. ice. Yeah. And Rick Tockett, I mean, it, this wouldn't have been thought of, I don't know, two, maybe even one year ago. Brock Besser was out on the ice. Rick Tockett uh, trusts him in that defensive situation, and in the puck goes. I thought that was really impressive. What I liked last night, guys, uh, was the ice uh, distribution. Uh, ice times for all the players were pretty even, and, and no one was overplayed. Uh, Miller, Patterson, and Besser did not get over 18 minutes. Uh, Hughes and Aronik didn't play 26-27. You know, Juleson, who's been really good of late, got 15 minutes uh, close to it. Uh, So guess what? You know, that's that's telling me that Tockett likes four lines – you know, roll the three pairs. Everyone gets decent ice time. That's This team looks like, let's be honest, guys, is added to the playoffs. So you don't need to play everyone 26, 27, 22 minutes every night and then get to the playoffs finally and everyone's all, oh, geez, another grind. To, you know, how many series can we go? I really like the fact he used everyone last night. Nobody played uh, outrageous minutes last night. That's telling me that he's starting to trust more and more players. Yeah. One other thing I'll add is is Kucherov. Uh, he comes yeah. in as the top point yeah. getter in the National Hockey League, played over 26 minutes, uh, didn't have a shot on goal, one shot a, a attempt, and uh, matched up, if I'm not mistaken, with that Miller line that was that was pretty impressive as well. Yeah, and, and the, I mean, when you look at these two games, Carolina-Tampa Bay, um, they've actually controlled play mm-hmm. five-on-five. Five. That Miller line has won their matchups. I mean, after what we saw against New Jersey and Vegas and Colorado, um, do you guys take anything from this team really controlling games against a couple teams that certainly coming into this season we were looking at as as potential contenders? Well, I, I think I do in that uh, impressive wins against very good hockey teams – and also because they come on the heels of a lot of question marks mm. surrounding the Canucks when they were alternating loss, win, loss, win, you know, loss in there against Seattle and some so-called lesser clubs, and then they come up with it. So, so Rick Tockett has talked about this a lot. You face some adversity, you know, within the course of a schedule, within the course of a season, within the course of a game, and you're able to overcome. And, and that's what I'll take from, from those wins against some pretty good teams at a time when some people were, were questioning uh, them, when there was some adversity. They seemed really resilient. Even the Devils game, guys, uh, they scored late. I mean, the Canucks tied 5 5. Um, if they could have, they've played three strong opponents in their last four games, and they've done fairly well. That was a criticism we've talked about is, you know, Vegas came to town, and, you know, they didn't yep. beat Vegas. Earlier, they didn't beat some tough teams. And now their competition is getting stiffer and tougher, and they're actually doing uh, quite fine. Like, three of the last four games have been, you know, take out the Minnesota game. They've been against tough opponents, and they've done really well. On Brock Besser, so the three goals last night, up to 21 now. And look, he's at a position where even if he slows down a lot, very good chance to hit 40. I know you guys had the poll question, can even get to 50 potentially this yeah. season. He's certainly on pace to do it. And, you know, with Besser, it's really interesting. We all know he was on the trade market, right? The reports that his agent had permission to go out and, and try to find a yeah. trade. He sticks around, and obviously they love how he's playing now, how he's working with JT Miller. 
the interesting thing is, you know, he's got one year left on his deal. He'd be eligible for an extension this summer if they want to talk to him about it. Has he done enough and yep. played so well that it's not just a matter of, well, we're not going to trade him. Do you think he could be a part of the long-term future here in Vancouver again, the way we used to kind of think of him that way? Yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a pleasant problem. I, yeah. I, I think a lot of people just assumed the way things went last year that okay, he'll he'll yep. finish out the contract and they'll they'll, they'll let him go, or maybe they they'll trade him b- b- before that. But he's not long for the organization. And now it's like, man, how how can we afford to keep this guy with you know Pedersen coming up and big time and, and, Heronic. and, and Heronic. And I don't think many people would would have guessed that. But uh, good on him. You know, it was twelve months ago that his agent, Ben Hankinson, got permission to talk to teams, right, guys? And look at the transformation in 12 months. He, he, he got in shape, right? He got in shape for, you know, says, you know, some coaches would say for the first time in a long time, you know, better defensive play. Um, he's scoring from all areas of the ice, you know, front of the net, side of the net. You know, last night, uh, look at high in the slot. You know, Quinn Hughes, what a beautiful pass. He kept the puck, kept the puck, but Brock went to the soft zone, found it, bang, bang, in the back of the net. So much to like about it. But just think, guys, you know, his confidence is high. It's a night and day performance from last year this time when he was on the third line when Sheldon Drys was his centerman. And also, guess what? You know, he was on the second power play unit, not the first one. And his confidence was low. And Boudreaux was going to, remember, he was going to yep. healthy scratch him for that uh, hockey fights cancer night. Mm. And he just was just uh, 12 months ago. Look how low he was. And now he's tied with Austin Matthews uh, for the NHL leading goals. He just couldn't happen to, to a better guy. And I, I don't think there's anybody in this city that isn't happy for this guy turning it around. And we also saw the Kuzmenko goal on the power play, Rick. How big was that for him? He, his celebration certainly suggested oh. that it was uh, a weight off his shoulders. Well, he's, he's squeezing the stick. Look at the Carolina game. He had some chances, right? His Utah, I just talked about Besser's confidence. He scored 39 goals last year because he had swagger and confidence, and it kind of went away. He's got to re-get it. But he almost 13 minutes last night. Rick uh, Tockett uh, raved about his, uh, you know, his play last night, the back check on the heroic giveaway in the first period. You know, and it, that could have ended up in the back of the net. He did a good job. He was forechecking last night. It's up to him. It's always the onus is on the player to move back up in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is uh, and on the trade front, I, I can just tell you, teams are called in. No one's making offers. They're just checking in to see what mm-hmm. the situation is. And I can tell you that you know you obviously listen. But what I've been told uh, from the Canucks' perspective is the plan is to make it work, not to move this guy. I mean, you know, make it work. Try to make it work and see if it can get better for him. Jamie talked about a, a takeaway from the Jim Rutherford uh, interview. Yep. Uh, that was one of them. Yep. You know, for the last week or so, we hear that they've been getting calls on Kuzmenko, and Jim Rutherford made it clear that the calls are going to Patrick Alvine, and that yes, indeed, they are getting. Despite what you know, he, four goals going into last night, yep. despite what would be considered a disappointing start to the season, they have been getting calls on Andre Kuzmenko. So that was definitely uh, one of the takeaways from from Jim Rutherford. Yep. Beyond the answer on uh, on Kuzmenko, was there anything else that really jumped out to you when you guys had the chance again earlier today to chat with uh, President of Hockey Operations Jim Rutherford? Well, I, I, you know, sometimes you you, you want to you know prod guys and maybe mm-hmm. even have them come back at you. And one of the questions we asked was, you know, what went through your mind early on? And I, I thought I would I, I knew what the answer was going to be when you heard the word rebuild. Yeah. 
And he said, he admitted, and never really did this before, that, yeah, we we were going to, we, we were thinking of rebuilding, but then we looked at what we had, watched them play for a while, and realized that with Hughes and Pedersen and Demko being at or near their primes, there's no way we can have them go through it and have the, have the fans go through it. But they did, they did think about it, even though, like, we had heard that if you brought that up, it was considered pers- preposterous. Yep. But he said, no, we, we, we thought about they it. thought and about then, it. And then realized that it wasn't a good idea, and it looks like he was bang on. Okay, guys, uh, two things uh, from Rutherford that um, uh, that stuck out for me. First of all, the plan with Vasily Podkolson mm-hmm. in Abbotsford. Uh, this is his quote, Rutherford. We are not in a rush to bring him up. We're going to let him play, play, play. And when he gets to Vancouver, he'll have 100% confidence. Um, there is nobody in Abbotsford that's just coming up unless there's a rash of injuries. Just, uh, these young guys, they got to stay down there, play the, you know, when they're ready, they don't want the guys to come up just for a game or two or three or four. When you're a young guy in Abbotsford, what they're saying is get down there, you know, get better. And when you're ready for the NHL, then we're going to call you up. And then you stay in the NHL, not just for a week and we send you back. But he made it clear on Vasily Podkolson, no rush to bring him up and absolutely no rush at all. And, and Thomas, you know the story about Bluger in Pittsburgh with Rutherford. Two straight training camps, he cut him, and it was the third training camp that Bluger made the Penguins, and he sent him down, and Bluger wasn't happy about it. But Rutherford was adamant: you got to go to uh, the American League, Wilkes-Barre, and you got to apply your trade, get better. Uh, the message I got is this: management crew is just not bringing up young guys just for a game or two or a week and send them back down. Go down there, and they got a great. Uh, no one talks about the great uh, co- coaching call they made with Jeremy Colleton. That was a smart move by this organization to get a good young coach and then that. The other one I asked about, Tyler Myers, UFA. What's his future? You know, we're not in a hurry to make those decisions right now. But but Rutherford made it very clear. He's happy with uh, Tyler. He's worked at his game. He's given us some good games. He's a good team guy. We'll see where it goes. The biggest key with Myers, guys, is you got Gonchar and Foot. Two really good NHL defensemen working with him all the time, and uh, but you know what? Uh, they, when you control his minutes, and uh, but I get a really good feeling they have not made a decision on Tyler Myers' future. In fact, that decision isn't coming for quite some time. Yeah, the the other thing too with with, with Rutherford is, um, and I, what else is he going to say? The team's playing well yeah. right now, and he's well well paid and. Uh, but when we asked him about Francesco Aquilini mm-hmm. and, you know, everybody knows the, the reports in the past, the meddling from uh, ownership. And he, 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 he says he's gone on the air and, and, and said, look, that's not the case. There's no meddling. We, we run our own ship. He lets us do what we want. Yep. He, he delegates. And I, I, you know how sometimes you just somebody could say something and then you get the sense that eh, I'm not so sure what he's saying is is, is really. Here. I got that sense of what he's saying is true, and, and partly yeah. because of he's 74 years old, he, he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah. I don't know how much money he, he he's got, but I'm guessing it's more than everybody here except Dolly Wall, except Drance. <laughs> and 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 I mean, I just think that at this stage he would go look if that's the case. If if there's, I'm I'm out of here, and it looks like yeah. he wants to stick around. Yeah, when we asked him about an extension. Hey, guys, and the other reason I know it's true that Aquilini's not butting in is because Jim is talking to him about an extension. If if he was butting in, he wouldn't want to extend in Vancouver. But the fact he said that I am talking, it, that tells me that he's got uh, all control of hockey decisions, no one's butting in, is the fact that he is talking extension tells me that the owner's not butting in. 
I think it's another example. Winning makes everything easier, right? I think it's a lot easier to have that relationship between the owner and the top executive when things are going really well on the ice. What, what's there to meddle with right now, right? They're they're going to be in the playoffs this year, and they've right. done a lot of things right since they've come in. Um, wait, what, wait, wait, okay. wait, go ahead. wait, wait, go ahead, ja- Jamie. Hold hey, wait, on wait. a second. No, you, there's you, too you much. Actually there's say too that? much. There's Did too I much? say it? Shine, guys. This is ridiculous. Mm. What they, you don't think they they're going to the playoffs? They've played thirty good games, man. They're going to the playoffs. You're telling me you're telling me that that Rutherford, who said I considered rebuilding, but we couldn't possibly do it. We've traded a bunch of futures, right? We're we're all in on making the playoffs <laughs> this year, right? We've made this this we've carved this short term path through. You're telling me in no way now they might agree, but you're telling me in no way. Is Rutherford operating on the same lines that this organization always has, which is to prioritize short-term hope as opposed to long-term upside? Like, everything they've done is consistent with that, so I really struggle to sort of look at this as this, you know, departure from everything we've seen in the past when all the actions are consistent, they're just done with a far higher level of competence than what we saw the last decade. But if the owner right? the owner might set the mandate of hey, I want this short-term success, right? But my point is if that's being filled, if that mandate is being met, which it currently is, right? Because they're going to go to the playoffs, then it's way easier for the owners to step back and have that positive relationship. Well, that's the, my point. And that's partly something we've seen in the in the recent history of this organization where um, a successful hockey operations group is far more empowered than an unsuccessful one. To a point, so we'll see how it goes. But I, I'm just saying, we, yeah. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to just smile and be like, "Hey, it's a whole new day in Vancouver," and not sort of at least question it with a, a hint of skepticism, given the the far lengthier track record of how this organization's run over it, a generation now. It's it, 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 you. You could. We very well be right, but let me get back to what we said with, with James. It was just Jamie. too positive for me, guys. <laughs> right. I, had, yeah. I was like, no. Jans got really back. ticked and, off and I, there. I, I'm leaning, I'm leaning towards positive these days. Like, like it's it's been pretty impressive and uh, a lot of resiliency and and, and all that. I'm impressed too until to we start to get team. to that level of like. Man, this is a model organization and how they're run Who up to that? the ownership suite. Who said that? That was the tone. Yeah. Who said that? I'm not ready for that. I'm not well, ready no, for that. No. I like the performance. But, but to anoint them a playoff te- a team, but to anoint them a playoff team, Jamie, in mid December, come on. That'll now, do, it, though. Like, that I'm I comfortable with. I like the way things are Johnny, going. I, this I, would I be it, a disaster. Look at the standings. Who's going to catch them? Calgary? No one. They're going to the playoffs. They're tied. They're. They're tied for second overall in the NHL. No, I can't do that either. They're the sixth. They're sixth by point percentage. Oh, They're not gee. tied for You know what, Thomas? Thomas sixth right. by point percentage. Nothing this got, this short than rails. Thomas. You are, Thomas, you have got to be the most negative human being I'm alive. Not- like, it's been 10 years of crap hockey in this market. They finally got a winner, and you still. You can't well, just come so- out and say... You know, I, last week I said to you they lead the NHL in goals. You made a bunch of excuses for it. Like, why do they're you make excuses the all the time? Shooting why can't you just enjoy that they're... I'm not disputing okay, that they're first in the again, NHL in another goals, excuse. But I'm nervous about fans their... Fans in this market, Thomas. Fans in this fans market in this deserve market accuracy. Have been dying for a winning team for 10 years. Yeah, all you do is poop on them, them all the time. This. No, I get it, but, but I, I'm not... I'm not pooping on anything for whatever you said. Poopa? What's poopa? Do you have any great poopa? Yeah, whatever the term is. <laughs> I don't know what the term is. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, poopa. Poopa. You know what? That's what uh, well, that's, that uh, Al Pacino that, anyways, incentable woman. We had the grand poopa. <laughs> uh, you did. You did. No, yeah. 
look, we got to we got to at least be accurate. Like they've played less games than the other teams that have thirty nine points. They're you know. Oh, here you go again. Yeah. Excuses. They do, Rich, like my Rich, goodness, you're Rich. coming off. There's they, not excuses, what, man. What, what, what do Facts, they got to do? Accuracy. What, what they, matters, Thomas? What? Like what? Okay, so Thomas, why what are they so got to do by for games? you to be positive? No, they've played well. Like but I'm what, impressed. What, I'm impressed. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know what else okay. to say. Like I'm impressed. Right. I don't know. I've been positive about all sorts of things around this team, but I'm not. I'm not well, doing the. I'm not doing the anointing them as a contending team because they're. Tied for sixth in the NHL in point percentage with the highest PDO. Who did? Who? Who of us three anointed them as a contending team? Donnie. Though? Donnie was like, and he was right. To yeah, not we rebuild. said that. No, we no, don't no, know no, that no, yet. No, no, we no, don't no, know no, that no. yet. That's well, that's no, a no, different no, conversation. No, yeah, Donnie, yeah. you're not calling. Are you? Maybe I don't want to put no, words said, in your mouth. Is that, I don't well, think any of us are saying they're a contender. Thomas, I was on your side. I was on your side. I know you were. Comes to rebuilding. And okay, absolutely. Uh, but I also said I want I, as somebody. Look, I, I've been around. I grew up in Vancouver. I want to see this team. Do, I wanted to be wrong. Yeah. It looks like I'm. It looks like I very yeah. well uh, could be wrong. It, Thomas, you, I, I admire you for sticking to your guns. I, I just, I'm just not convinced. Like, I may no be wrong. Said, I'm just not convinced yet. I need to see more. I need to see more. Thomas, uh, no one's saying they were go- they're going to win the cup this year. No one has said that. Donnie, no one. But for you can't deny the record, Thomas. I'm not. You can't. I'm impressed. Like, I don't know. They're what to winning say. a lot of games. I, I'm yeah. impressed, but okay. also, well. but also they won. Uh, they went at a hundred. But you make point. excuses, Rick. You said this exact same thing to me when they were at a hundred six point pace under the Boudreaux bump, and I was poopying that too. And that was and that was right. Like <laughs> hockey, it's 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 you know you're making excuses. Andre Kuzmenko's a star. I can't believe anyone like guys. Hockey will trick you. It takes a long time for the reality of a situation to set in. I just need to see more. It's trending in a direction, though, that I can get behind, but I definitely can't get behind the... And based on the commentary from Canucks management, everything is solved internally. Like, come on, I'm not there. They messed up a Jersey retirement night tomorrow. You're like, inventing There's somebody. an awful lot of stuff still Nobody to get... said no, that. No, Nobody no, said that. No, I just couldn't... No. I, your festive tone no. was just... I couldn't do it. I'm sorry, boys. I had to. I had to. Yeah. I had to. I you had should to be. See, yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, Drance, Drance will be hey, impressed. Drance can be, be impressed with the team. It just annoys negative pills. <laughs> I. I just. I get. I get annoyed by a lack of. Uh, a, like I. I need. I need at least a little bit of credulity. In my conversation, Drance can be impressed by the team, but as soon as Why? anybody Why? else Why? is impressed by the team, it's like, no, you stop. 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 Word. stop. Word. No, like, like I, I say that word again, yeah, Thomas. I mean, like, credulity. In, in, in we can't be too incredulous about what we're seeing. That's my my view. Like, we need to approach it with a hint of skepticism, at least. Surely, that's at least uh, I do. Okay. I do. All right. By the way, guys, uh, no one's saying they're winning the cup. The inbox mm. is loving it, and uh, three putt Shane texted in sim- simply uh, in all caps: "Poker is a sport." So people are getting uh, <laughs> people are enjoying the yeah. argument yeah. vibes uh, right now. Hey, no one, no one yeah. poopaw poker. No one poopaw no, poker. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, this was great, guys. This was uh, this was one of our best yet. If you yeah, I gotta go, to my uh, guys, my parking, go my parking, parking meter. I gotta go. go. Take care yeah. of your parking. We'll talk next week. That is Rick Dollywall uh, and. Don Taylor from uh, Donnie and Dolly on Check TV every day, 10 to noon. Uh, you know what you and Rick have really in common is the ability to build straw men out of, out of each other's arguments. I know. You guys are yelling. It's like, 
Neither of you is saying what the other one is yelling about. <laughs> uh, anyways, that was fun. I enjoyed that very much. People in the inbox are fired up. I love Rick saying Kredilinski Krid- or whatever. <laughs> what sounds about like, Poopot? You like, always uh, have to Poopot. Sounds like Zion Williamson. Was it lackadaisical? Lack, lackadaisical. Yes. Look, I just need a little bit of skepticism in my Canucks conversation. And that's, some that's where I'm at. All right. We my will, favorite uh, text was, I absolutely live for these Durant's or Dolly yelling matches. I'm just smiling like an idiot in my car. That's, that's oh, what we're going that's for. That's the opposite of my wife when me and Rick talk hands-free. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can only imagine how annoying that would be. <laughs> well, because it, it goes on so much longer. You're just poopying over each other. <laughs> the, differ- uh, <laughs> the difference is, is that at the end, in private conversation, one of us goes, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and not because we think the other's right. Because you want to end the conversation. Because we want You're to like, okay, on. this is enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we will take a break. Uh, we'll get. I want to play actually one clip at least from their conversation with Jim Rutherford uh, earlier today. So we'll get into that. Uh, more Canucks talk coming up here. Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz here with you. We are live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And the uh, the Dunbar Lumber text line is uh, is blowing up with reaction to our crossover segment in the previous segment with Donnie and Dolly and uh, a couple of choice ones here. This one unsigned. I'm even more impressed now that Drance has been married for seven years, <laughs> which is a very together, good take. Together for 13. Yeah. And I like this one from Jake and his it, it, it helps that my wife does not doesn't care about sports, care at, about all. sports yeah. at all. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, I have the same thing and it's probably really good. But I will say the number one thing we fight about, the number one thing is... I correct everything. Mm, like even, shocking, even just subtly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like my wife will just like say something completely innocuous, and I'll be like, "Oh, it's actually, I'm absolutely the actually just, just can't help yourself. I I don't yeah. even know I'm doing it. I like actually. I, I try to actively work on it, but I I can't. I'm so subconscious. I could have told you that you cannot work on it. <laughs> no, it's impossible. That's who I am, man. Uh, at least this gives you an outlet for it. Yeah, it's very important. Uh, Jake and a Soyuz Texan, it's incredible how Drance will use a word over three syllables and Dollywall somehow turns it into a Russian last name. Drance says disingenuous and Rick's like, no, you're being Denisenkov. <laughs> that one just really made me laugh. Really good. Uh, so great feedback there for uh, Donnie and Dolly on the crossover. They will be back next week. It was just too placid a segment, man. I had I know, to you were just like, you started seeing red. I, like, ah, how dare you? I was just like, this is way too, way too positive. The only point I made, which because I it was me who set you off, actually, you got into it with Rick. 
but it was me being like, yeah, it's the only thing I said was, of course, it's easy to have a good relationship with ownership when you're winning. Yeah. It'd be weird if it was like <laughs> super fractious and uncomfortable right now. Like that would be completely bizarre. Yeah. When, when you're, when you're on the road to delivering the first home playoff date that exactly. this franchise has had in 10 years. Right. I mean, uh, yeah, that <laughs> like the Canucks will host a playoff date in 2024. For the first time since 2015, more mm-hmm. than likely, overwhelmingly likely. Yes. I really don't see a path to this not being a playoff team at this point. We will talk about it uh, in the whiteboard later on in the show when we do the playoff odds, but it, it it's extremely overwhelming well, at this point. I, but I remain very concerned. I remain somewhat concerned that this team's made too many moves to lower their ultimate ceiling. Like I still think the rebuilding path... Um, which, you know, in my view, just doesn't take as long as it feels like it takes, is the best one. And and here's my, here's what I'd bring up as the example. Like, the LA Kings, okay? Byfield aside, because he's finally leveling up. Mm-hmm. Like, between Turcotte and some of their other high picks, that just Velarde, right? Who's like a good middle six guy. You know, like, the the what percentile would you say of value the Kings mind like from what they could have reasonably expected picking in the top 10 four years in a row. Outside of Byfield or even including Byfield? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, we don't even know what Byfield is, but the fact that it took him till 21 yeah. to show us a flash of this, you know, even that, given mm-hmm. that he was the mm-hmm. second overall pick, that's like, you know, 10th percentile, right? Like 90% of the time when you draft, when you use as many picks as the Kings did that high up the draft order, you will get more than the Kings have gotten from it. But the power... Of the NHL's gravity, right? The power of trading a bunch of guys for futures, accumulating a bunch of extra picks, having extra cap space because you've traded all your guys who were paid, except for, you know, your four legacy guys in their case, one of whom's retired and one of them whom is like crushing it for the New York Rangers somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and two of whom are still like very good players, right? Like at the end of the day, it was like a four year process. And here they are, they've made the playoffs the last two years. It's not like, it's not like it's been lean for a decade the way people say that if you avail yourself of the gravity of the NHL system, it, it like catapults you up the standings with with so much velocity that even if you don't nail your picks, which the Kings clearly didn't, you're able to build something really scary. And like this Kings team is really scary in my mind. Like they are, I, you know, I think the best or the second best team in the in the West. Yeah. I, I like them better than L, uh, than Vegas. Mm-hmm. Like I think they're you you look under the hood, like they their profile is more elite than Vegas. So you know if you're I honestly think if you're giving it to Vegas and Colorado, it's mostly out of respect for the fact that they've done it. They've done it, yeah, and that the Kings haven't won around with this core group yet. So you know, to me anyway, like that's still the direction I I would have seen this. Uh, that's not a take I'm backing down on. And, and in fact, this team being sixth in the NHL with the best goal differential in the NHL, like, that's impressive enough. I don't see the need. I don't see why we have the need to, like, dress it up more than that. Like, tied for second, uh, th- literally all the other teams with 39 points have played fewer games than them. To me, that's just not the case. Like, it's just not the right way of looking at it. And where the team is at, what they've accomplished to this point is impressive enough without needing to be dressed up. Like... You know, there, there's another one going around that has me a little bit annoyed in my semantic uh, quarrelsome way, and that's the, you know, the Canucks are 16-0-0 mm. when leading after two with Rick Tockett. Do you know what teams do in the NHL when they lead after two? 
They tend to win a lot. They win games. They win games. So let's, like, put this into context. You know who else is perfect when they're leading after two? The Montreal Canadiens. You know who else is perfect when they're leading after two? The Ottawa Senators. There's another team, and guess what? They're also not very good. I can't remember who they are, but you don't want to. It might be the Flyers. Mm. It's like, and the, the Flyers are actually kind of spunkier than I thought they'd be, but come on. But well, what's the baseline for that stat, Trans? What, like, what's what's the baseline level where that stat matters? Extremely no, it's, it's the baseline level is extremely high. And let me let me give you another example. Uh, Bruce Boudreau coached just over a hundred games for the Canucks. Okay, the entirety of the Boudreau tenure, the Canucks only failed to pick up a point. They only lost in regulation when leading after, um, when leading after two once in thirty-eight opportunities, twenty-nine. One and seven. Now, twenty-nine, one and seven is not as good as the twenty-nine, zero oh and one record. Obviously, that they've amassed under Bruce Boudreau. But when you really think about it, and you think about like, well, a lot of Boudreau's hundred games was spent with like Spencer Martin and Colin Delia, right? Like the Canucks had the worst goaltending in the league. But the way that they blew leads last year was like they'd go up three nothing in the first period, and then by the first intermission, it would be four <laughs> three for the opposition, like. When you're leading after 40, you're going to win a lot of games. This team's defensive play is a legitimate strength of the team, and there's a ton of ways to talk about it. I just don't think the and they close out games when they lead after 40 minutes. So does 92% of other NHL teams. Like, the baseline level is so high because in the NHL, if you're leading after 40, you win. You win so regularly. But my point is that, okay, let's say Team A has only led after 40 three times, and they've closed out but team b has led after 40 10 or 16 times you have more opportunity right well and and i mean that is the case like but montreal hasn't led after 40 as often as vancouver has for sure but like the point is is that 16 0 and 0 stat doesn't capture what's different around this team we're just so eager to be like and that's the difference like they would have lost that game last year people are excited i get it i get it but like I don't need to indulge in that. I, can, I get it. That's but fine. Can You're the, the one who brought it up right now. <laughs> you I'm, brought it up. I didn't bring it up. It's just a thing that annoys me. Like, let's focus on what matters. What does matter? Tom? All right. Well, can I play this clip? Can I play this clip from, from Rutherford? I don't know what we were talking about. <laughs> the job he's done. Oh, boy. Yes. I ahead. thought it was good. I thought it was interesting. It includes a nugget I haven't heard him reference. Yet in okay, any of these play sit it, downs. I, I play it. Fine. Here's Rutherford when asked how he what he thinks of the job he's done so far. Well, you always want more. You're never satisfied. You know, our goal is to win a championship. And I knew when I came here, as everything was laid out to me before I got here by Francesco, I knew that it was going to be a great challenge. And it was going to take time, especially with the fact we were in a <clears throat> in a flat cap world. So it wasn't going to be that uh, we could make the kind of changes we wanted to make uh, early on. But now the cap's kind of unraveled. We've uh, we've restructured our hockey operations. We're very aligned uh, from top to bottom there. Obviously, uh, people have different opinions on players and different things that we do. And there's great debate over it, but at the end of the day, everybody gets along with what the decisions are. And uh, so we've made headway. We still have a ways to go. It's like I said, it's our, it's our goal to be a contender and ultimately win a championship. And that's what we work towards. And 
I think we've made some good steps forward to this point. That's Canucks President of Hockey Operations, Jim Rutherford from Donnie and Dolly, earlier today on Check TV. By the way, he'll be on Canucks Central with Dan and mm. Sat as well, so make sure you tune into that at four. The thing that stood out to me there was he uses the phrase, the cap is kind of unraveled. And this is something he's talked about going back to when he was first hired, right? We need to solve the salary cap situation, even as recently as his press conference at the beginning of the year, right? We've made progress, but there's still maybe one or two contracts that we would like to kind of solve. We'd like to do this final piece. Now, I don't know if it's because of, you know, something as simple as moving up Bovillier, bringing in Zadorov, or it's more that, hey, all of a sudden Brock Besser, we like where his game is at, yeah, so we don't, I, we don't see that as a problem. I, I think right? one of your problem contracts is scoring yeah, as is, often is as tied for the Matthews. league. Yeah. Then you're like, oh, actually, never mind. But I thought that, to me, and we had a little bit of a debate, okay, like where do they see this team right now? And you know, we were having a bit of a semantic argument, shockingly, for the two of us. But to me, that's... The biggest sign, if you're looking through all these media Thanks appearances. Thanks for jumping on the bullet and pretending that it's both of our problems. <laughs> no, it is. It is me. Don't worry. Don't worry. Um, if you're looking for like the sharpest insight, I think, through any of these media availabilities that he's done so far into kind of what stage of this process mm. he thinks this team is at, to me, that's it, right? Because it's been such a consistent theme of, hey, we're gonna tr- we're still going to be competitive and we're not rebuilding, but we really have to solve this salary cap situation. As far as I can remember, that's the first instance of we might be out of that phase. You know what I mean? Not that you can just, hey, willy-nilly, we have all this money to spend or anything, but that's maybe no longer as much of a priority as much of an emphasis as it has been for the team. There's a real sense of intellectual humility when Rutherford talks about process that always strikes me, um, and actually I quite admire. Um, you know, I, I think it's an evidence there too, right? Like, it, it's pretty clear that what he's looking at is incremental. What he's focused on is incremental. Mm-hmm. And and what I read into him saying it's beginning to get unraveled, I think is twofold. One, there's cap growth on the horizon, right? I think the organization and the rest of the industry feels some confidence that there's going to be a little bit of extra breathing room going forward. I also think in the wake of the Oliver ekman Larson buyout and look up and down at the Canucks books, even with Pedersen and Hironic looming as like significant liabilities beyond this season, you know, like who's signed through next season on the blue line? We've had this discussion, right? Juleson, mm-hmm. Hughes, Susie. Susie. That's it. Yeah. Um, who's, you know, who's signed up front? Garland. Miller. Mel- Miller. Besser only Besser's has one, one year, year after this year. Mikheyev. It's it's not a long list. You know, you're you're probably looking at with with some cap growth, something like 30, 35 million. Now, we know that a lot of that gets taken up by Pedersen and Heronic. We know that the team's going to have to, you know, commit a chunk of that into continuing to improve their blue line, keeping Sam Lafferty, doing all of those things that uh, we expect to be, you know, like high leverage items on this organization's uh, holiday Christmas shopping list. But I guess it won't be in the holidays. There's summer shopping list. Summer shopping list. But. You know, you you can sense almost like an exhale, right? Remember that the Canucks entered the first buyout window and bought out Ekman Larson the day of over mm-hmm. the cap, effectively over the cap. Once like their restricted free agent decisions were factored in, now they ultimately didn't qualify Bear, which gave them even more breathing room. But like, that's not a decision that they. That's not a decision you want to make. Like, you don't want to lose Bear for nothing when you traded yep. a fifth for him and had him play well for you, right? Like. So, but those were the sorts of decisions that they were facing. Largest buyout ever 
non-tendering a guy who played capably in our top four last season, like that's tough. This summer, they're not going to be dealing with that sort of pressure, that sort of like, oh man, like what do we do here? Um, how do we, you know, even even something as little as like Pearson with a pick for DeSmith is like that little bit of extra breathing room. You know, on, at the end of this year, that breathing room will meaningfully exist for this team because of all of the expiring money on their books, even if it is connected to. And I think that more than anything is what he's feeling. Yeah. It is sort of is sort of looking at it in terms of his options, his organization's options beyond this season and feeling like finally they kind of will have some. Well, and to your point about kind of being able to exhale a little bit, when asked about Tyler Myers and all of the UFAs that he had later on in that interview, he said, well, look, like we're either going to sign him or we'll have a lot of flexibility in free agency. You know right. what I mean? And so it's that kind of thing, right? Like, yes, it's, you know, there's work to be done and we have to make decisions on all these guys. But the worst case scenario is, well, we've got a lot of money to go do something in the summer or, or more money to go do something well, and, in the and, summer. And that's the area like that's the area that I feel most confident in this management group, like in their decision making, frankly. Mm. Right. Like I worry about how they allocate cap space. I worry about how they value futures. I worry about some of the decisions uh, at the draft table. But I have zero worry about them going into free agency with a bunch of money. In fact, I'm I'm curious to see what they can produce given what they've done. You know, Mikheyev's come in, yep. and whether you buy him as like a top of the lineup offensive piece or not, and you know, spoiler alert, I don't really. You can't argue with his two way impact, and that's been him. I don't think we've ever seen a hundred percent full mm. full send Mikheyev, given the fact that he injured his ACL. Uh, or tore his ACL in in his very first preseason game as a Canuck, had a lengthy recovery. Like even this season, I don't think we're seeing Mikheyev with the sort of burst we will after this season, and he's still been good. You know, like I think that signing's hit like a tenth again tenth percentile outcome in terms of his health, and he's still been effective. Um, and that's sort of like, you know, then you go Suter, Susie, Cole, Luger, yeah, Luger. I mean that that work's been fantastic across the board. Like. I like the idea of this organization, you know, feeling comfortable in in pivoting because we've seen them mine value in that particular market. Um, you know, that do that again. Anyways, I wanted to play that because I think if you're looking for, if you're trying to glean what the next steps are, that to me has been the biggest tell so far that we've heard from Jim Rutherford. It's a good uh, a good pull by you, bud. Anyways. I'm glad we got a chance to play it in that segment. Uh, Jason Bukala <laughs> from Sportsnet joins us next. He's at the Canadian World Junior uh, camp right now. So we'll get the latest from him, what that team could look like, strengths versus the Americans and the other countries, all of that, plus his view of what's going on with the Canucks. That's coming up in the next segment here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd. It's Thomas Drance here. We are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit 
at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, as mentioned. Now joining us, as he does every Wednesday, from Sportsnet's NHL coverage and, of course, also a longtime NHL scout, he is our guy, Jason Bukala. Jason, what's going on, man? Oh, just out front the uh, the rink here in Oakville, fellas. Uh, team Canada's camp just wrapped up. They got slaughtered today by the U Sports team, but uh, <laughs> um, it was it was a tired looking group. Anyways, I'm uh, from one rink to the Bluetooth here to talk to you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure. We're we're thrilled to have you on live from, as you said, camp just wrapping up for Canada's World Junior team. Who stood out to you over the course of the proceedings? Celebrini is outstanding. I I mean we got we have a, a long way to go between now and June, obviously, but he stood out as by far the most dynamic forward at the camp. Um, he'll break camp potentially uh, with huge uh, responsibility here as they track towards Sweden. I expect him to be on the top line, definitely the top power play unit. Uh, it's it's hard to put into words. Uh, he's tracking up and down the ice quick and fast. There is a difference. Some guys are quick to space, and when they plane out, they're not real fast in separation. He does both. Um, his detail is excellent. Uh, it's he's really. I was trying to you know somebody came out to me today, another a media friend of ours, and asked you know what do you compare him to in the NHL? And He's a real tough nut to, to kind of mind down on individually, but he, he reminds me a lot of McKinnon in terms of that dog on a bone, like really competitive, plays fast. So this kid's uh, he's another star in the making. He'll be in the NHL next year is my estimation. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Also, the, the versatility. I mean, this is a guy who grew up playing defense, um, has, can play every position on the ice, frankly, Books. Um, is is that evident? Like, can you see the two way instincts uh, all over the ice in this environment? Hundred percent, your answer. Like, honestly, I, I think this kid could skate twenty five minutes a night in a variety of situations. The only drawback to, to killing penalties at the pro level, of course, is your head coach expects you to block shots. Uh, the thing with this guy is that he would be so quick to get in, get to space, and pounce on fifty fifty pucks that he'd he'd win most of those small area kind of uh, quick strike uh, uh, battles, if you will. So he's got the brain to be used in all situations. His compete is off the charts, guys. Like, to be in the NHL, you can be as skilled as you want. You know, anybody can be really – most NHL guys, somewhere along the line, were, were skilled point producers mm. even before – you know what I mean? Like, yeah. as they went through minor and junior, there's a, there's a million stories of junior guys who end up becoming really good checkers as NHL players – but you have to be willing to do it. This kid's not going to check. He's going to score, but he's also going to be responsible enough to take key defensive zone face-offs if required, late in games, sheltering a one-goal lead. Like, he's really good. What do you see as some of the uh, the tough decisions or, you know, last candidates to make the team at the at the World Junior Camp? Uh, I think the goaltending was the one coming in for sure. I really do feel like that took care of itself today. Um, Dominic uh, DiVincenti's from uh, North Bay. To be fair to him, the team kind of caved on him a bit in the back half of the game when he when he played. But the other goaltenders um, kind of rose over the course of the last couple of days. And I see the, uh, the the Russo kid, in my estimation, breaking camp as a starter for Team Canada. Um, undersized at five eleven. 
you know, went to Columbus's camp uh, after the draft as a, an invite to their development camp. Squares up really well, guys. Like, you know, they, they this camp was held on that hybrid type of ice surface uh, that they're going to play on in Sweden, so it was good in that you could see how the guys had to make adjustments. And that's really important for the goaltenders. So imagine when you're 5'11", if the play moves east-west in front of you on, on wider ice, that just means you have to track further. If you don't have the good feet and you don't have good push laterally, and obviously the instincts to read and react properly as a goaltender, you're not going to arrive on time moving side to side. He did it really well all three days. Squared up really well, battled to make second saves. I thought he was excellent. I think he's the number one as they break camp. I thought Ratzlaff had a really good uh, day today. Um, you know, he's a more of a goal line type of uh, guy when the when the gets kind of hectic in front of him. Uh, but but he was he was solid, and so was uh, Saint Hilaire out of um, out of uh, the Quebec League. So uh, goaltending, I think those are the three that'll break. Um, couple of whirling dervishes from the Western League I, I, I'd like to mention, like uh, Tanner Molendyke, um, he was active uh, to the point that he's going to have to scale things back a little bit. Uh, I'm assuming he makes a team. He was he was on the puck every every shift. He was, something was happening every shift. Like, he, he really stood out. Yeah. So, that was a real positive. Um, Matthew Wood, here's here's exactly how I thought it would play out for Matthew Wood. Of course, from uh, from out in your area, yep. you know the kid at UConn, the Nashville first round pick. His catch and release is elite. Like he doesn't need any time or space. So anything spills to his stick um, inside the dots for sure. But even outside the dots, like he can catch it and, and go bar down. Um, today he didn't have the puck as much in those areas, so he was transporting it more than I'd like him to, to, to transport it. He needs to play with a burner, i.e. Celebrini in the middle, where if things close on him in the neutral zone, he chips it deep, Celebrini's F1 on it, you know, retrieves it, goes to work, and then finds him in the, in his wheelhouse. I thought Wood struggled a bit today uh, just because his handles were extended, uh, and that's something I'll keep an eye on as, uh, as we get overseas. Jason, on the goaltending do you have any theories for why Canada doesn't seem to produce elite goaltenders like we used to? Oh my God, your ears must be burning. I can't, I'm not making this up. Three people came up to me as well <laughs> today at the rink and asked me the same question. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it a is thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it is. It has become a thing. I mean, you know, uh, people like like I'm 53 years old almost. So you know, when I was growing up and watching World Juniors. Every year it was, you know, mm-hmm. who was going to be Team Canada's goalie, and he would carry the mail, and it was, like, imagine the names, like, uh, you know, Josephs, Brodeurs, uh, Luongos, like, you know, all these guys that came through, um, especially in the Quebec League, like going way back, the Mario Goslands of the world and these guys. But anyways, I digress. I don't have a reason why. Like, it's – but we are in – we're in flux, aren't we? Like, I don't know if it's because kids – one thing I do believe, I think that the, the outfit of goaltender is very expensive for yep. a family, and I think that that has gotten in the way of the amount of kids that can afford to play the position early on. Yep. I mean, not, there's not too many families that can go out there and lay down, let's be honest, 1500 1700 bucks just to outfit the kid. Um, that's a tall order. So um, that's the only real reason I can think of because – our goaltender, we haven't really produced the, I thought Fukali might be that guy, right? A few yep. years ago, yeah. he was like a maybe, but that didn't even work out. So I don't have an answer for you, but 
if uh, if we're going to win this year, if we're going to medal, because I'm a little concerned about the entirety of this group, yep. if we're going to be uh, looking at a gold medal type game, we're going to have to have somebody stand on their head and uh, and come up uh, with some big big saves. Well, yeah, and I was going to ask you about the uh, you know the the strength of this team relative to the field, and also just to, you know I think the goalie thing is coming up because we're getting ready for the World Juniors. We're looking ahead to to a best on best tournament, hopefully in the near future as well. And you start to do the roster projections, and it gets a little nerve wracking. It's like Carter Hart, yeah, I guess. for Canada, Cam it, Talbot in net. Can but I interest you in some Cam Talbot in, in general? Are we not just at the goalie <laughs> position, but with the Americans in particular? Are we are we starting to see them really, you know, I don't even want to say close the gap, but maybe pull ahead a little bit in terms of the talent they're producing? Well, can I answer this two different ways? Yes. I, I want to get something off my chest here. I mean, on one on one hand, you're you're bang on. I mean, the, the in the United States at the grassroots level, hockey um, in several markets has taken off. Obviously, they have the population to support more output at the other end of the tunnel if enough kids get involved in the game. That's just, you know, the law of averages. Um, the second thing, though, guys, is I would argue, and I think we could all go out for dinner and a couple of pints to have a long discussion on this, I would argue that our model um, was cocky and stagnant for several years. Yep. And I would say that all of these uh, these uh, models around the world um, have they've gone by us like they really have the American model has gone way past us in Canada um, you know everybody in every state is buying into a certain type of uh, way to produce talent and nurture their players uh, the program out of Plymouth is elite obviously we see what happens in the first round almost every NHL draft cycle that speaks for itself doesn't it um, mm-hmm. and you know even overseas you know like We've seen some kids come out of, uh, you know, Finland's got six and a half million people. Look how many, how many players they produce there. They're obviously doing something right. And um, I think that our model needs a reset on a lot of different levels. Um, I, I think that our talent wins out, but it's, it's, it's not because we prepare better than anybody else. It's just because right now we just have better talent at certain periods of time. Yeah, I, you know, you're even seeing it, I think, Jason, in the CHL. Where like, you know, I mean, I, I when I went and watched Bruce Stevich play in the O, and I was like, this is the best power play in the O. Like, this is the highest scoring team in the O, but the level of play didn't feel, you know, honestly, it just didn't feel as high as it's been in the CHL, you know, it, 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 off like a, a decade ago. A decade ago, I remember watching CHL games and, and being, just thinking it was a higher level of play than it is right now. I, I mean... It feels like a pretty multi-layered issue for Canadian hockey development at the moment. Yeah, I think on balance, you're you're absolutely correct. And you know, it's going to be interesting to see as NHL teams start to strategize how to build out mm. organizations in the future, how they start to scout certain territories in the world differently. Uh, maybe you're going to see one or two more European scouts because yep. the pockets are more rich. You know, scouts go where, the, where, where to find talent. They want to go mine the, the richest mines in the world, right? So wherever they're developing the best talent is where they're going to go. We're always going to be scouting uh, Canadian talent. There's no doubt about it. But I would argue with you now the way that the CHL sits, and I'm a huge CHL fan, so I don't want anybody to get upset with me. But I would argue with you that uh, – the three leagues as a blanket, there's probably 15 teams in the three leagues that scouts will go to a game and not come away with maybe not enough information, not enough quality viewings 
out of about 15 teams in the CHL. And I think that, uh, to your point, even 10 years ago, um, it wasn't that way. In terms of the scuttlebutt around the rink, are there any NHL-level U-20 eligibles that Hockey Canada is crossing their fingers and monitoring over the next week here? No. No? I don't think so. There, I don't is, think so. I, that's I, not I Zach Benson's is, music? Well, it, you know, it could be, I guess. Uh, they had their broods there today. Well, every team, actually, Buffalo had uh, three or four guys there today. Now, of course, they did have um, some prospects playing. But I don't get the feeling that that's happening. Mm-hmm. I will say this, that it certainly wouldn't hurt them, guys. It certainly <laughs> wouldn't hurt them. Um I mean, he would uh, he would obviously be you know thrust into a top line role, and it would be good for his uh, confidence. I don't think it's going to affect him long term in terms of his NHL uh, trajectory. But you know, Buffalo's uh, struggling through some inconsistencies, and and as we all know, sometimes um, it's not a bad idea to get a youngster out of that mold for a little bit and and get a you know as they reset as a whole group, because Buffalo's got to get it going, like holy jumping. And maybe sometimes you, you lose some development time on your, with your younger guys when they're in that environment. Jason, great stuff from the, the World Junior Camp. Uh, I do want to ask you a little bit about the Canucks right now as well. And, you know, one of the big talking points recently, and Elliot reported on the weekend that teams are calling about this player, it's Andre Kuzmenko. I know you had a piece from the scouts' perspective up yesterday at Sportsnet. And, you know, if you were, let's say you were a pro scout for a team, for another team, and your GM or, or president came to you and asked, hey, what do you think about Andre Kuzmenko? What are you seeing? What kind of how could he help us? What kind of role would we need to put him in? What would you tell the GM right now? If you're going to bring him in, you have to accept. First thing I would do is I'd roll out my historical data on the player for sure because you got to set the table. Um, you know he has historically, and that's what I put in my piece. I went back to my reports. I think dating back to 2020. Um, you know, his, his, he's been up and down streaky, you know, like he's been uh, obviously proficient on the power play. If he's going to play uh, in the raw on your roster in the NHL, whether you're a, uh, a retooling team or a team that's contending to be hopefully a good playoff team like Vancouver, um, you have to roll him out to do things like he did last night. It was nice to see him rip one back door one timer, wasn't it? Um, kind of in Ovi's wheelhouse there. That's what we need to get him doing. We have to put him in those situations to succeed. Um, other than that, guys, I, I can't tell you, he's, he's all offense. He's always been all offense. Off the puck detail, tracking up and down the ice, he's going to be, you know, 50-50. So, like, I don't want to ever oversell a player like this. If he can be average defensively and, and, and produce to his, his elite element, which is obviously producing offense, then we have a player on our hands. If you want to sit him down because of his warts, those warts are not likely ever going to go away. But the more he sits and watches, the more his confidence will subside. And then, of course, he won't play to his element. Um, but having said all of that, it's the NHL. If you're a goal scorer, you're a point producer, and you're playing on the first power play, you know, you got to get it done. So hopefully last night is a, is a kind of a starting point for something better. Um, I went through, you know, I've been watching this pretty religiously, obviously. And I have to say this, I, I get this, you know, I'm getting things off my chest here. I feel like I'm in therapy all of a sudden. But anyways, uh, um Last year we had conversations about Besser, right? Yep. And oh yeah. I was one of the first I was one of the first ones to say that, you know, the problem with Brock is that when he's not producing offense, he doesn't do all these other things well enough um, to bring enough value to the group as a, as an entirety, right? Like he, he just doesn't. He doesn't play fast. He's not great defensively. But right now, 
you know, Brock is, is playing to his element. He's having a phenomenal season. Total credit to the guy. That type of situation could realistically exist if you trade Kuzmenko out the door as well. Like, he could he could go off next year somewhere else. So, um, you know, you got to be careful with these types of situations. It hasn't been horrible. Like, it, it sounds like it's been horrible, but it hasn't been. And he does have value out there, I'll tell you that. 5-5 uh, five, five might be rich, but uh, there's value. Teams, teams will value this guy. Jason, Canucks have now won three in a row, um, stabilizing over the course of the past week because it, it hasn't just been that they've won these games. Um, you know, the Wild game, whatever, I, I think we can sort of look at that apart. They sh- they shut out the Wild, but I, I don't know that it was um, a- as dominant as we've seen them the last two games against Carolina and then last night against Tampa. But those games, I mean, they're winning those games at the top of the lineup. Um JT Miller's winning his matchup. Pedersen's winning his matchup. They're controlling those games. Um, how much or how impressed have you been by sort of what's effectively been a response from the Canucks over the past week following up sort of a month that was defined more by inconsistency than much else? Yeah, totally agree. Really, it was a segment, wasn't it? It was like a it was like a 10 or 11 game segment yep. there, win, one, lose one kind of things and some some good and some bad and win on the road in Seattle, lose in San Jose, you know, those types of things. But um, so the things that I've been really, really trying to pay attention to in the last week, I do feel like their starts have been better. Even last night, I felt like, okay, the first, the, to start the game, uh, I know it's it's nerdy scout stuff, but I'm, I'm interested, eh? Drop of the puck. Okay, we lose the draw, goes down in our zone. Okay, they, you know, they have some time. The puck chips out to their neutral zone. Miller's line rolls over the boards. Right away, it's a hard matchup. They kind of got the flow of it early, Tampa, but, you know, Miller's group, they respond with the matchup, and then the Canucks start going from there. Um, I've liked their starts better. I do think this team is way more resilient than I gave them credit for. Um, I was happy on a, with a lot of things. Then I was kind of, you know, unsure, but I think they're a lot more resilient. And, you know, statistics don't lie sometimes, guys. Like, when you're as high up in the league, and I think they're fourth, on goals for and goals against, if I'm not mistaken. Their power play is top five, right? Mm-hmm. So if they can somehow get that penalty kill to, you know, inside the top 20, I think we're going to even be talking about uh, even more consistency across the board um, with their with their team. But resilient group, I really, you know, I can't underestimate the, um, for now um, the Masters at the Coaches has given this group and how they've responded to it. Um, they look like they're happy coming to the rink. And I, and I do also like this too. Um, some of their veteran guys that they brought in, like a Cole, I like how they're talking in the media and how there's, there just gets us feel like, you know, guys in the room are talking a little bit differently this year than they have been in the past. And uh, I like that there's no chaos, you know, there's, there's no chaos and, Things are going well, but listen, there's going to be a segment in here. We're going to regroup again. We're going to have some pedestrian play. That's just the uh, the way the league goes. It's a hard league for 82. Well, and the good thing, Jason, right, is that their slump segment so far this year was, you know, 500 and not, you know, two wins out of 10 or anything like that. And that's the kind of thing, especially when you've, you've been off to a good start, you can survive segments like that here or there as long as you're able to turn it around after that. You, just before I let you go, I, I wanted to ask you about uh, Niels Hoaglander as well, right? Because he, yeah. you know, t- was turning heads early in the season with his goal scoring. Now he gets promoted to the line with Miller and Besser, and all of a sudden he's being asked to do a lot more, right? Like, he's out there against Kucherov and Braden Point last night against the Tampa Bay Lightning. What are you seeing from Niels Hoaglander right now? 
we've talked about this before. So th- this is one thing when, when I'm, when I'm scouting players, if you can't skate and you can't think you can't play and you better be, you know, uber competitive in there because that's how hard the league is. The fact that Holander has found um, the back of the net or he's extending plays and there's offense there to me, that's like a bonus on top of the rest. I love the fact that every night I go to the rink or every time I watch the Canucks play, I don't have to look for this guy. Like he comes to me. He's, he's really competing hard. He's disrupting the play up ice. He's involved in the trenches. Now the coach is giving him heavy, hard matchups. Who would have thought last year in February, we'd be having the same discussion. So there's the buy-in. That's a player development buy-in and good on the Canucks for sending a message that's consistent and then the kid buying into it because it's important for these guys to understand. And then the next wave, the next younger guy that's got a chance and he's going to suffer a setback, just like Holander, Holander will be a poster boy for this is how you just kind of regroup, get it going again. This is our expectation. For me personally, Holander could arguably arguably be the type of player you identify most with the Vancouver Canucks so far this season outside of their stardom, like their star group. I think that that's the type of guy that the coach behind closed doors says, you know, I re- if we can get this kind of play out of the middle of our lineup, uh, we're going to have uh, not only a successful regular season, we might have a chance to come play off them. Bukla, great stuff, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the update on the World Juniors and the thoughts on the Canucks. We'll talk next week. Awesome, fellas. Thanks for having me on. We'll talk soon. Of Cheers, course. bud. That is Jason Bukla from Sportsnet's NHL coverage and a longtime NHL scout before that. Uh, that was a fascinating answer on Niels Hoaglander. I'm really glad I asked about him. Yeah. I, I, I hadn't thought of it in those terms, though, but it's kind of beyond the star power and identity player for the Vancouver Canucks this year. Uh, he's, you know what? It's not just the speed. Like, one thing I loved about his game yesterday, especially because the Lightning weren't moving the puck very well and their defense isn't very fast, um, the aggressiveness with which he took guys out wide mm. didn't always, like, he didn't always get to the net. There was a stick check in there. The puck squirts to the, but he, but he, stressed them out and then you've got chaos effectively and a retrieval opportunity for his line it's it's not just that stuff although i like it it and it's not just the first guy in on the four check stuff either it's that when he gets there he's so hard to move like he never gets there and gets pushed off the puck it's at least getting tied up long enough for besser to get there to support you know like mm-hmm. there's he doesn't just he's not just the first guy in but when he's the first guy in it stops he's like a a reverse cycle stopper you know like you you think of a cycle stopper as like a Zadorov type yeah in the defensive end or a Luke Shen type in the defensive end but he does that as a four checker and and I think there's huge value there if he can bring that sort of Annoyance, that sort of disruptiveness consistently he has and since I, he got promoted to that line. I've been impressed too, but they—I don't think the coaching staff has really like sheltered him within that role at all. You know what I mean? Where it's like, oh, okay, he's on that line, but in certain draws, we're going to send somebody out. No, you know, no, we're no. going to send Ilya Mikheyev out there instead, or something like. It's just been, hey, this is your job now. Well, Go talk, do it. Talk, talked about a post game being like there were some defensive lapses in the early part of the game, but we let him play through it. Mm-hmm. They need to. Like, I actually. In thinking about what's impressed me from the Canucks' last two wins in particular, like the play of the Miller line, they're back to controlling play. I don't think it's a coincidence that Hoaglander's gone up to that line and the the results, and I mean the results from an underlying process standpoint, the way that that, team, that line is controlled play has returned. We're seeing the, the same forecheck, 
Besser and soft coverage, quick pass stuff that was their bread and butter when it was really going early in the year sort of return. I think Hoaglander's been a huge part of that, maybe even a driver of it. I think he's absolutely been a driver of it, right? You see how how consistently he's in on the forecheck, and not just in, yeah. but being effective, winning the battle, yeah. getting the puck loose. And, and let's be real, like, Miller and Besser need that. They yeah. need someone, they need more than they've gotten from Phil DiGiuseppe, and I think there's a reason why a guy who we sort of know doesn't really drive in, in Kuzmenko, like, only lasted four periods there. Like, they need... I think a guy who can bring what Hoaglander can. All right. We will take a break. Uh, we move it to the last segment on Wednesdays. We'll do the whiteboard to finish off the show today. That's coming up next here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650.
Pardon me. Do you have any gray poupon? <laughs> Oh, welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, nice live from the Kintech Studio. Track. 650, 650 nice is track. the Dunbar Lumber Poopa! Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or our beauties in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Um, I said, oh boy, off the top of the show, and I was right. It's been an oh boy type of show. Pardon me. Do you have any great poopa? <laughs> can we can we get some can we get some Al Pacino hoo-ha? Can we get some Al Pacino sentable woman? You know what I'm talking oh, about. Oh yeah, right? of course. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. That by the way is the all-time best slow clap at the end of a film. Oh. I thought you were going to say the best uh, scenery chewing. It's certainly up there. Uh, I mean, it's actually not yeah, that no, good a movie. There's a lot No, but I mean and just in terms of the overacting. And it's also not that good a performance. Although it is the performance no, it's for which, scenery chewing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like he won the Oscar for that, but it was really one of those career achievement ones, just like when Scorsese won yes. it for The Departed. Uh, Hoo-ha! Hoo-ha! There's Rick Dollywell right there. Hoo-ha! I love it. Uh, you can go check out The Crossover on YouTube, the full edition of The Crossover on Sportsnet's YouTube channel. <laughs> take, take a Xanax before you tune in. Yeah, exactly. Set the mood. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe take some milk thistle or whatever it's called. Calm yourself down. What? What? Some? What? It's like a naturopathic thing. You take it; it calms you down. Sick reference, bro. Maybe some uh, ashwagandha. Dom's a big naturopath over there. I didn't no, realize that. Aaron Rodgers up yeah. in here with his yeah, jet yeah, yeah. gear. Yeah, well, some magnesium, some some ayahuasca. As soon as Aaron Rodgers joined the Jets, Tom was like, "I'm going to do some research on this stuff." Listen to uh, some dolphins mating. This, this guy has some fascinating ideas. Listen to some dolphins mating. Sorry, we can't let that pass without comment. That's a Rodgers thing. It's a Rodgers thing. What he, he said that that no, you him. don't know. I didn't. That's know that. one of the, the uh, like alternative therapy processes or rehab processes he's done to help speed his recovery. You listen to the sound of dolphins mating. Yeah. And it helps. He had to. He recovery. had to throw in something alternative because, like, really, what he did was go to the go foremost to, like, the best medical surgeons professional. In the world. And he's like, "But, but, also dolphins mating." Yeah, that so was like, the. That's what really did it. Hoo-ah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, we'll do it late, as promised. Here it is: the whiteboard. Hoo-ha! All right, out, fellas. Hey, let's focus up, huh? Uh, it is your daily deep dive into what's up with the Canucks here for December 13th. And oh what's boy. up? We'll start with the headlines. Oh, boy, is right. Because the Canucks have won three in a row. They beat the Lightning 4-1. And as we said earlier in the show, one of their more impressive performances in quite some time, really. And you string it together after the Carolina win. And that's two really, really strong performances uh, in a row for the Canucks. And, and again, I think, you know, Meeting this kind of, I don't want to get you started on leading after two periods thing, but just the idea of the identity of this team being slowly built around the idea that they can, you know, 
say say what you want about the Tampa Bay Lightning and their struggles this year. They've been scoring goals, right? And the Canucks are able to hold them to one last night. And, you know, maybe they should have got another one in the power play. But in general, the takeaway for me was a strong defensive performance in that game for the Vancouver Canucks. Well, and I think that's become this team's M.O. You know, like I'm yeah. far more confident actually in their defensive play than I am in their offensive play. Which is wild, given the makeup of this team and their struggles on the PK. But I, I still think the special teams thing, right? The fact that this team's so much more reliant on the power play, or so much better on the power play than they are shorthanded, although their shorthanded play was excellent against Tampa Bay. I think it's, I think it's like tricked people into thinking this is still the team, the run and gun team that we've seen in the past, and and they've had the goal results. But I really think this team's legit defensively. And is likely to, as the sample expands, as we get to 82 games, um, you know, like between now and the end of the season, I wouldn't be surprised if this team was just like average or slightly above in terms of goals scored, especially at five on five. Power play is still going to be lights out because they're amazing. But the five on five goals, that part I'm like uh, iffy about it. Their ability to defend, I think, has been standout. And look, it's going to need to be. Four four goals allowed in three games on this homestand, but you've got this Florida team coming in, and that's going to be just a tremendous test. Matt, Matthew Kachuk's been quiet for Florida. We'll get into more uh-huh. of this tomorrow. Like He's basically been scoring like a fourth liner, five on five, but, but we know what he can do. We know that's not who he is. The Barkov versus JT Miller matchup that we're going to see at Rogers Arena tomorrow is going to be fascinating. Local like, product cannot wait. Local product Sam Reinhart having a fantastic, Crushing fantastic it. season Caring. in Florida. Yep. Um, and and Barkov's at the absolute apex of his powers right now. Like this has been marvelous stuff from him. That's gonna be a that's gonna be a huge test for the Canucks. Panthers got shut out uh, in Seattle last night. My Seattle stock doing better than your Vegas stock today. That's, by the that's way, that's a dead cat bounce right there. Calgary stock, you mean? But what did I say? Vegas. Uh, they lost to Vegas. Yeah. No, I know. Um, I think I was willing to sell faster than you were on Seattle. But uh, anyways, the other headline for me from that game last night, Brock Besser, of course, with the hat trick, capping it off with the empty netter late, now at 21 goals on the season. And it just continues a dream year for Brock Besser. And I was thinking about even if you were to remove, because they played 29 games, right? So even if you were to remove last night's hat trick, and the four-goal performance from the start of the year. Even in the 27 goals in the middle, or 27 games in the middle, he still has 14 goals, which is like a 40-goal pace. You know what I mean? He's still over a 40-goal pace, even if you cut off his two best games of the year where he's racked up seven goals. So he's he's had those outbursts. He's been really consistent as well. It's great to see he's found that chemistry with JT Miller uh, and on the first power play unit as well. And, you know, I brought this up a little bit, and I don't want to dwell on it too much here because I think right now, you know, we should still just be in the mode of appreciating what Brock Besser is doing for this team in the here and now. But I do think it's all of a sudden we're in a very interesting spot with the conversation of where things go with Brock Besser, because he's going to be eligible for an extension on July 1st. And this team, you know, I we had somebody text in, like, could he be that kind of star winger that this team really needs? I don't I still don't view him quite that way. I think he's a really good complimentary top six player, but I do think it's it's creating a situation where you know, it wasn't that long ago where it looked like either by trade or departing in free agency that you could see the end of the of Brock Besser's time in Vancouver on the horizon. And I think his performance now is making that a much more 
difficult or complicated conversation at least difficult in, in a good sense because it's oh holy cow we have a we have a good problem on our hands here with this player playing so well I, I think you have to like one thing I would strongly imp- opine I guess is you know right now the Canucks have Sam Lafferty with five goals in his last 11 games okay Ilya Mikheyev producing regularly on the on the top line, you have Niels Hoaglander elevated to the Miller line, going off. Mm-hmm. You have Brock Besser, you know, Brock Besser with renewed opportunity both on the first power play unit and stapled to to Miller in the top six and and in a matchup role. And this is to take nothing away from him, really capitalizing off that opportunity. The two wingers you have struggling at the moment, one of them's on the fourth line, one of them's on the third line. Well, what was the story with Besser last season? Stapled to, the, to Sheldon Dries on the third line. Rick, uh, Rick Dollywell brought it up during the crossover. The wingers that get opportunity with Miller, Pedersen, and on PP1 are going to produce. Like, they're going to produce. And, and I think you need to keep that in perspective when – sort of evaluating this team's options, but also evaluating the players in question, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we see Connor Garland with Bluger and Dakota Joshua, a pair of guys who've never topped 30 points in a season, um, and and the production's not there, but would it be if he was getting top six opportunity? Would it be if he was getting PP1 opportunity? Definitely. To a, to a, to a, to a Besser level, maybe not. To a Kuzmenko level last season, maybe not. But certainly to a 60-point, 65-point level. I think you have to be really conscious, given the skill level of Vancouver's top two centers, given the reliability of, of the power play when you put those top two centers with Quinn Hughes, um, the impact that that opportunity can have on boosting other people's counting stats. And and by the way, this is a this is a factor, too, that the club's going to have to be mindful of managing with Philip Peronik who's been tied all year to Quinn Hughes. Yeah, it's 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 going to be a really interesting conversation. And I think again, it's just striking to me that we've moved so quickly to Brock Besser's permission to seek a trade, but it's not possible because of his cap to we're staring to, you know, would it shock you if we were talking about a Brock Besser extension in August or something like that? I I think it's a little we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but it's it's become a realistic uh, scenario all of a sudden. He's uh, he's been such a key part of this team. Period. Yes, yeah, and, he's been really good. And yeah, it, I mean, it's worth noting, we're only 10 months removed from like the inbox heating up whenever we dared mm-hmm. suggest that, like, I remember... He's been their third best forward, we, we, right? And that's a really, that's that can sound like not that big a deal, but you look at third best forwards for successful teams, that's a really, really good player. Really he's good been player. their third best forward. I, last year on this on this radio show, I, I called him a comparable player to Andre Kuzmenko, mm-hmm. and at the time, Kuzmenko was dunking on the whole league, and, and Besser was not, very much not, and... Like our inbox filled up with people mad, and now, if I think if I said Andre Kuzmenko is a comparable player to Brock Besser, the opposite would happen, right? I I think it would be the exact opposite effect. And by the way, it's still true. Yeah, like they're both good. Um, all right the uh, the broadsheet portion of the whiteboard. Now, the one thing I wanted to bring up here, and it's not exactly uh, rumors because it's coming directly from the president, Jim Rutherford, but it relates to player movement and things that could happen in the future. When he was on with Donnie and Dolly earlier today, we didn't get a chance to bring this up with them, uh, but he was asked about the Ethan Bear situation. Looks like former Canuck UFA right now is going to land with Washington. In any event, the Canucks are out of it. And I thought it was very interesting what uh, Jim Rutherford had to say, which was basically a admitting to a little bit of surprise and a little bit of disappointment that it didn't work out 
for the Canucks. You know, he even said, I th- we thought we were front runners pretty recently in this process. We've really managed uh, communication and kept the lines open. And obviously, eventually it didn't work out. And, you know, to, to Rutherford's credit, he also says, look, Bears a UFA. He has the right to choose uh, where he wants to play. But I did think it was interesting just to hear that kind of glimpse into how that process played out. And again, it I already thought this, but still think very much that just because they missed it on Bear doesn't mean they're done shopping for defensemen. That's going to be an, an ongoing process leading up to the trade. Well, and here. Rutherford's commentary really indicates that that's something he still thinks the organization needs, right? I mean, if there's disappointment that the organization couldn't ultimately be the team, you know, that got the rose from Bear in this particular version of West Kelowna Bachelor, um, you know, that that still tells you that the Canucks had their irons in the fire and yep. probably still will. Look, they need another puck-moving righty, I, th- I think, very clearly. Um, as well as Noah Juleson's play, like, you know, you're, st- you're still going to need, like, you're- right now their seventh defenseman's Mark Friedman, and when was the last time Mark Friedman played? No, it's been a while. It's been a while now, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, if Ju- if you could push Juleson into that guy, to being that guy, um, and you bring him in maybe for some matchups where you want more physicality or – a, a penalty killing specialist because man Juleson's crushing it on the PK you know that I think that's where you that that's like an even healthier spot and and you have to start to think like that because we know this team's going to end up dressing 10 defensemen by the end of the season at least yeah and you go even you know the other thing is it bumps Friedman down to your eighth right and it just slots everyone in in a in a better role organizationally as well no other real rumors to get into on the broadsheet today lineup notes the Canucks practiced completed a whole practice during the course of our show today no surprise here having won three in a row including a couple of really impressive performances in the most recent ones no lineup changes today but two things stand out to me one Pew Suter still skating as an extra and we heard the update from Rick Tockett uh, I believe it was yesterday, either yesterday or the day before, I think it was yesterday, that he could theoretically be an option for Thursday. But I think this is another one of those things, Drancer, where the team's playing well, the team is in such a comfortable position in the standings, you have the luxury of really managing and being, you know, being extra certain that a player is ready to come back from an injury. So you're winning right now. No lineup changes. He's still skating as an extra. I'd be pretty surprised if we see him against the Panthers tomorrow. Why rush him? Make sure he's, he gets as much pushing and shoving in uh, as he can, as Rick Taka would say. And then the other thing that I do think is notable because he had a strong game uh, yesterday is Kuzmenko still skating on that fourth line. Again, you're winning. Hey, it's a building block for him. Why change it? But I think as long as that's the situation, it, it bears monitoring and, and reporting for Andre Kuzmenko. Well, and, I mean, his minutes were up a bit, but so long still as... Still fourth-line minutes, five-on-five. Five. So long as he's playing fourth-line minutes, and he was, by the way, while he was still taking line rushes with Pedersen, it's going to be a story worth monitoring. And, and you know, not a trouble spot, but but a potential hot spot anyway. Yep, second-fewest five-on-five minutes uh, for the Canucks ahead of Niels Amon last night. So no surprise, ultimately, that he's uh, still on the fourth-line at practice today the playoff forecast Canucks up to 95 a 95 percent chance to make the playoffs Don Taylor was getting on me for putting them in the playoffs we are in real real disaster territory if they don't at this point it's it that that was one of the funniest parts of the crossover segment which you can go listen to on YouTube um or watch on YouTube if you prefer or listen to it just close your eyes however you'd prefer (laughs) to turn the laptop screen away from you (laughs) <laughs> but 
you know, it's like, uh, it's like, I was like, no. And then they're like, you know, we're just saying they're a playoff team in mid December. I'm like that. I'm okay with. Yeah. Yeah. That sure. That that's actually just probability. Yeah. And then Rick comes back with tied for second. I'm like, no point percentage. Come on. Uh, but they're up from 93% yesterday. <laughs> it was 88% before these three wins in a row. And you know, that doesn't seem like a huge deal, right? That's a 7% jump and 88% is a really strong number as well. But I think of the, the alternative scenario, like if they had lost these three games in a row, you're probably what down at like 75%, something like that. And all of a sudden it feels, you know, your position in the standings feels a lot more tenuous. So again, look, going from 88 to 95, it's not the biggest jump in the world. Again, they were already in such a strong position, but I think these three games have done so much to really not push it beyond all doubt, but make it so that we're talking about a real, uh, real disaster if they should miss. And I, I have a tough time. I, th I think we're already seeing there. it. Uh, we're already there. No, like we're there now. That's yeah. what I mean. They've These three wins have kind of put them in that place. Just So do you remember, I think it was the first year, the Boudreaux bump, I used to do the thing where I would compare the Canucks' chances of making the playoffs to like a baseball game state win probability because you have these win probability calculators. Yeah, they're up five in so, the bottom of the ninth. No, 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 no. This is what it is because it's early in the season still. I, I Using the win prob probability calculator for baseball, they're up six in the fourth inning. Right. So you are got a really, really healthy lead. It happens. But the other thing is, like, a lot of stuff can go wrong. You know, you can give up a grand slam and still be the favorite to win. Yeah. Because you're still up. Like, I think that captures it. You like, can take multiple yeah. body blows. A, a middle reliever can come in and really stink it up, and you'll still be fine. And that's where the Canucks are. Yeah. Like, something bad can happen, and there'll still be pretty significant favorites to make the playoffs at this point. Good way of looking at it. I like it. Thank you. So, gambling odds. Actually, yep. the line is already opened on Canucks-Panthers tomorrow. Panthers narrowly favored. It's basically a pick'em. Minus one fifteen for the Panthers. Minus one oh five for the Canucks. Uh, the over under set at six and a half with steam on the under. You can get plus one oh five on the over right now. Minus one twenty five on the under. I'd bet that changes because both of these are relatively high octane offensive teams. Mm. We saw um, a pretty interesting game. I mean, I think it was only it was a four three win. Yes, it was. It was 3-3 three, three late. And... So it was pretty close, yeah. but, I mean, the, the the style that both of these teams play, speed, pressure, um, can lead to a lot of mistakes. Uh, and then the Canucks are absolutely lethal against iffy goaltending, and that that's Sergei Bobrovsky. So, <laughs> what? Yeah, it's true. That I just remember because that game against the Panthers, it was a weird one where – None of the goals the Canucks scored were like bad goals by Bobrovsky, but he made a ton of weird plays in it. They, yeah. And they just didn't end up in goals. But like every play other than the goals, he looked bizarre. <laughs> it just didn't end up costing them. Yes. Um, the Canucks odds to reach the playoffs, by the way, are now at minus 650, which is a huge jump. Let's we're, go. We're, we're 650. Fine. Minus, no, but minus 650, we're getting into 90% prob yep. uh, implied probability. Jamie where Vindicated. Where they've really been hanging Anoint around. Anoint them, Drancer. Anoint them. <laughs> they've really been hanging around like 83%, low 80s. Mm -hmm. And we've been talking about how there's value there's there. There's some value there. Like, today is the first day all season. Oh, like, the first day since mid well, late October, where I thought there was maybe not value on the Canucks odds to make the playoffs. Literally every day until mid-December. Um, I thought Vegas was too low on Vancouver, including before the season, because plus 140. We were talking about that being a yeah, a that's good probably value too bet. too low. Yeah. yeah, we we thought if that you was... think they're a coin flip, right? And you're you're getting them at plus 140, or, yeah. or like slightly weighted, yep. like a 53 percent, right? Like I mean, we thought 
we thought plus 140 was too low going into the year. So today's the first day in a long, long time that Vegas, uh, that you probably don't want to bet the Canucks to make the playoffs, even though Lock we think it'll happen. Lock week. <laughs> That's right. Lock it in. You need like a, uh, you need like um, some sort of handle though. Like you're not Greek. No, I I got it. This is where I have to lean into my Jimmy uh, Jimmy Dodd persona. Oh yeah, I Jimmy need to bring Dodd's. in my sunglasses. Yeah, Jimmy Dodd's lock of the week. <laughs> I like that. Uh, <laughs> the maybe I'll do that. When we're on the morning show next week. I'll I'll do some Jimmy Dodd content. You're <laughs> on the, the morning show. Fill the time. Yes, not all next week. Thursday and Friday with next Jason week. or with Mike with Drance. Oh yeah, it's Canucks talk in the morning. Keep up, Dom. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. Too much on your plate, buddy. Too much. I'm too busy with that other big podcast I'm associated with. What's it called again? Yeah, the People Show. Have we heard of it? (laughs) Wow! Shots fired. Shots fired. Do you have anything else? No, not really. I mean, just (laughs) Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson are now tied twenty to one for the heart. So Quinn Hughes continues to narrow the gap there. Everything else basically remains the same, although Quinn Hughes further solidified his lead in futures betting over Kale McCarr somehow last night. I guess it was the Brock Besser highlight, maybe. Maybe that pass moved the market a little bit. He had three assists. That's how. Yeah, that's how. He had three assists. They were sick assists. Yeah, he keeps putting up points. That that was it. Anyway, those those are the updates. All right, that's the whiteboard for today. We're back at the rink tomorrow for the Canucks and the Panthers. Thanks for listening. Keep it right here. Oh, Jim Rutherford on Canucks Central with Satin Dan at 4 today. Make sure you tune into that here on Sportsnet 650.